Thank you for tuning in to the latest message from Island Church, Dundalk. It's so fun to be here and to worship with all of you guys. I just appreciate, I appreciate that y'all press in. You worship the one true living God. You minister to him, as Pastor Jason says, and it produces a very sweet sweet uh, environment to be in. So I just want to thank y'all for that. All right. So, you know, the Lord has been impressing upon me some things to teach, and this is probably going to be a pretty short message, so don't worry. (laughs) Um, But, you know, as I was praying about what to speak about here in Dundalk, a lot of what he's been pressing on me in Derry has been very foundational, has been, you know, there's Uh, a lot of excitement about things that happen in the spirit realm. There's a lot of excitement about all of these, you know, big sensational things. And he wants us to not forget the foundational things. There are wonderful things that happen supernaturally in the spirit. It's exciting. I'm not saying it's not. But we want to stay grounded. We want to stay stable. Okay? Um, And... You know, for, for us here tonight, I just feel like uh, the Lord wants to give us some inspiration and kind of shift our perspective a bit, okay? He wants to get us excited about his kingdom business, okay? Not worried about all the details, all the things that distract us and sidetrack us, but he wants to get us focused and shifted in our perspective. So I called this message back to the beginning Uh, Because we'll see later in the scripture um, that we're going to examine, not the beginning of the earth, we're not going to Genesis, but the beginning of our journey with God. Okay, so how many of you as children uh, read or watched things like the Chronicles of Narnia? Anyone in here? Yeah? Okay, well, even if you didn't get that one, I use that example because C.S. Lewis is a very strong Christian man who wrote those books for the purpose of awakening the gospel message to children. You know, if you didn't know that, you should go back, read, watch them, and look at it through that lens because uh, there's a lot of um, revelation that you can get even from fiction. Uh, But, you know, there's so many stories and so many books and movies that have, you know, these same similarities that the Chronicles of Narnia have in that they're stories of good versus evil. You know, they're stories of an underdog rising up to victory. There's unlikely heroes and heroines that save the day. They're all part of a bigger cause, a bigger story than just themselves. You know, they are out there saving the world, rescuing people in trouble, uncovering plots of darkness, you know, bringing justice to the baddies. And as children, I think we all have that innate desire to be a part of some kind of great story, some great adventure, you know, to have, to do things that matter, to live adventurously, to have a little danger, a little mystery, something that is extraordinary, not ordinary, right? But at some point when we're growing up, we tend to start getting a little more cynical Um, a little disillusioned. Sometimes we lose that inspiration and we let the world harden us. Uh, But God just wants to remind us that there is a story. 
that we're part of, and it's not a fairy tale. You know, it's real, um, which is the exciting part of it. And it should inspire us to take our place in his kingdom realm. Um, so tonight, let's just allow him to open our eyes to see this glorious story that he's invited us to participate in, because there's no better part of a story to start in than the beginning, right? So we're given a clue to the importance of our beginning in this verse in Colossians. It says in Colossians 2, 6, therefore, as you received Jesus Christ, the Lord, so walk in him. Now, that can also be translated as you received him in the same manner, that's how you walk in him. Okay, so it is a very important statement that we need to examine and take seriously as you received him. So I've been kind of meditating on this for a while now about, okay, Lord, how did we receive you? What was the state that we were in when we received you? How did we do it? What did it look like? Let's think about that for a minute. You know, in a nutshell, we all know the story. You received him by realizing that you were a sinner. You're in desperate need of a savior. You were presented with the good news that Jesus paid the price. He took your punishment. He offered you a way out of the darkness, and he restored you to his family. And by faith, you took a hold of it, and you received. Now, I'm going to share with you a dream that I had a long time ago. Uh, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago, back when we lived in Texas. And at the time that I had the dream, I did not fully understand the significance of it. It's only still that God is unfolding things to me about it. Now, look, I'm not a big dream person. <laughs> I don't try to analyze all my dreams and figure out what they all mean. Seldom do I even remember them. But there were a few times when God has downloaded something to me in a dream, and he has explained it to me as I have sought him on it. So in this particular dream, my sister and I um, were kidnapped. Okay, we were taken. And I don't remember a whole lot about how it happened, just that we were blindfolded and we were taken to a location. And when we were put into the room, they took the blindfolds off of us, and it was just the two of us in this room together. The room was very dark, very gray, very dusty. There were boxes everywhere, um, just kind of a mess, you know, not a, a pleasant place to be at all. And I just knew on the inside of me, I had a very strong kind of panic, like, we've got to get out of here. We've got to figure a way out. How are we going to escape, you know? Um, but as we were in there for a while and we're trying to figure out a way out, I noticed that my sister is not really in the same state I'm in, uh, that she just seems to be kind of okay. And the, you know, after, I don't know if it was a few hours or a few days, I noticed that in the top corner of the room there is a small window and I can see light coming through it. Now, I point this out to my sister, I'm like, look, I think we can get out through there. We need to try. And she's just, she would not believe me. You know, she couldn't see the window and she would not believe me. And so, since she was not gonna help me, I went on and I climbed up through the window and I got out. You know, but whatever I did to convince her, she would not believe that there was a way out or that she needed to get out. And it was very frustrating <laughs> in my dream, you know, but. As soon as I got out, I was in the light, and it was 
you know, nice surroundings, it was peaceful, and I saw up ahead in um, America when there's crossroads, when roads cross each other, there's a street sign that says, you know, the street name going this way and the street name going this way. So it's a, you know, it's a cross. And I looked up at it and I knew if I ran towards the cross, I would know where I was, okay? That would give me direction. So that was the end of the dream as I was running towards the cross because I knew I could, if I knew where I was, I could get help, okay? Um, now, as we go through this story that we are all part of, this journey that we're all part of, I think this dream will start to make a little more sense. Okay, and I just believe God's going to unfold some things to you as we go through this as well. Now, we're going to take a journey through the first few of what are known as the Beatitudes, or blessings, okay? Now, these have interestingly been described as a road map to blessing, or a map. Um, and it's, this roadmap starts with the beginning of each of our journeys. So we're going to look first at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or as the Passion Translation says, What happiness comes to you when you know or when you feel your spiritual poverty. Now, being poor in spirit literally means bent over. Okay, so figuratively what that means is deeply destitute, completely lacking resources, as helpless as a beggar, okay? This is a picture of all of us without Jesus. Before we were reborn and recreated in our spirits, we were miserable, we were completely lacking, and we were needy. If we could have seen ourselves spiritually... At that point, before we had Jesus, no matter what we looked like physically, we would have seen in the spirit realm something different. Okay, now, when you were about to receive Jesus, you could have been at the top of your game. You could have been physically at your best. You could have been successful from the outside. But on the inside, let's think of a different description of what you actually were. Okay, in the spirit realm, you would have seen like a dirty, downtrodden little street urchin, completely helpless, with nothing to your name, starving and cold. And what happens to vulnerable little ones like this? Okay, they have no family, they have no help. They're either stolen, they're taken advantage of, or they're lured into the service of a cruel master with a false promise of a better life. This is actually what happened to all of us. Colossians 1.13 says, he delivered us, from the domain of darkness. That word for domain means authority. It's the ruling power over us. So we were in darkness's domain under its authority. Whether you realized it or not, that's where you were. That's who you belong to. That's the authority that you were under, okay? Now, until he delivered us, it says he delivered us from that. That means that he rescued us by drawing us to himself. Now, when he offered to rescue us, he had to get our permission, okay? He is a gentleman, and he does not force us into anything. So he could not rescue us if we did not want to be rescued. This is where faith rises up in us. It gives us the courage to trust that this rescuer is coming for our good, right? But the realization of what we really are, that's why Jesus said we're blessed when we're poor in spirit. When we realize our state of lack, and need and helplessness that we are actually in slavery then we become open to him and we can receive his rescue 
Without knowing our spiritual poverty, we will stay stuck in Satan's domain, just like my sister in the dream, okay? You're not fully persuaded of your need of him if you're not spiritually poor. You don't realize that you are spiritually lacking when you are coming to Jesus, okay? So in the next verse, verse 4, Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, a lot of us look at this verse like it means, well, when we feel sad, Jesus comforts us. And he does. I'm not saying he doesn't. But this word for mourn, it actually means lamenting over what's lost. And it also carries a meaning of feeling guilt. When we see that we don't have to be in this horrendous state of enslaved spiritual poverty, we mourn over what we've been missing. We've been missing what we were made for. We feel guilt over our choice to cooperate with darkness. We finally are able to see clearly that we were made for so much more, for all of the sin and dirtiness that we've put up with. Okay, as when we first see clearly, it's, it's horrible to realize some of the things that we've done in rebellion. But really, this is repentance rising up in us, okay? This is the act of repentance. Um, it's seeing it, it's mourning, it's turning from it, and it's thinking differently. But it says that we're blessed. We're blessed when we mourn over this, okay? Um, now, we stay walking in this way where you received by mourning when we get off course and miss the mark in our walk. That's how we keep it in our life. It says, as you received it, so walk in him, okay? So that's how you need to keep it going. It should make us hurt when we hurt him or disappoint him. It means that our hearts are tender towards him. We need to keep that always. It's the way we did to receive him. It's the way we walk with him, okay? Now, as we received him, um, after he delivered us or rescued us out of that kingdom, that dominion of darkness, it says he translates or he transfers us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So our domain, our authority, changes from darkness to light. And then it says, and in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, redemption is such an exciting word in reference to our story because it literally means released by paying the ransom. Okay, now we're getting a clear picture that we were people that Satan kidnapped. Okay, he took advantage of our ignorance and our helplessness. He saw that we were king's kids who didn't know it. He saw he could access us because we're in sin. We're separated from our daddy, the king. So he robbed us of our true identity and he convinced us that we're in the right place, that we belonged with him, right? Now, the ransom for the kidnapping was paid by Jesus 2,000 years ago, but we didn't know it. So until someone shared the truth with us, we had no way of realizing or recognizing that we were held hostage. Now, depending on how long we were in that situation, we were hostages, you can get very comfortable, okay? You can get used to it. It can become normal to be a slave, to be a captive. Some of us were even fighting to stay in darkness because we believed it's where we belonged. Now, have you ever heard of this thing called Stockholm Syndrome? Okay, I'm going to give you the definition. It's a psychological response wherein a captive begins to identify closely with his or her captors, as well as with their agenda 
and demands. This is what can happen when we're in Satan's domain and no one tells us the truth. Or our hearts are so hardened that we can't take the truth, that we can't believe it. And this is where so many people are trapped, okay? They're trapped and they're deceived, some of them for their whole lives. You know, when we see people who are out there who don't know Jesus, this is the state they're in. This is the way we need to be seeing them because we were there once and it's where they are, okay? They truly need someone to care enough to intervene, to intercede on their behalf, to seek God for instructions on how to get them free. Because how many of you know God has a plan? He has a rescue plan for each and every person who's trapped in darkness. He doesn't want anyone to stay there. But he needs his hands and his feet, his body, to to help to do something about it, to carry out his plans, right? So we need for more of us who have come into the kingdom, come into that freedom from darkness to be willing to become God's operatives, to lay down our lives for the sake of this great and noble rescue mission. Remember how I said at the beginning, you are part of a story that is adventurous, that is dangerous, that has all kinds of huge purposes, life or death purposes in them. You are part of that. And this is what it is, okay? You've been asked to participate. Are we the ones who save? No but we serve the one who saves, okay? We're not drawing people to ourselves, we're getting people to the one who can save them, right? We are his ambassadors and we're acting on his behalf to carry out his mission, to seek and save the lost. This is what someone did for us. While we were in captivity, someone opened that window of opportunity, just like in my dream, as an invitation to freedom. Okay, someone pointed it out, someone opened it, someone showed you. There's a window of opportunity there. You can get out. You don't have to stay in the darkness. It may have been our parents at a young age, a friend, a relative, street preacher, or simply a stranger on a mission. One way or another, God got the truth through to you through a vessel of his. Okay, so then you came out by faith. You had to take a step. You had to walk out of that door, walk out of that window, walk out of that place of captivity by faith, okay? So he gave you the faith to do it. As we decided to receive this freedom and allowed ourselves to be rescued, this is the third thing, the last thing of the um, Beatitudes. You had to be in a place of humility, okay? So in Matthew 5, 7, Jesus tells us, "'Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth.'" So biblical meekness isn't weakness, but rather it refers to exercising God's strength under his control. It infers humility because it's a positioning where you are submitted to God, which takes humility. And as you do this, you can walk in his strength, his authority, his power, his love, just as Jesus did, because Jesus described himself as meek, right? So he's the perfect example. Remember back to the verse, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So we've been seeing and getting this understanding of why and how we receive him, but we have to receive him. It says, as you receive Jesus Christ the Lord or your Lord. Okay, this is a way you have to receive him. You don't just see him as a savior. You have to receive him as Lord as master, as the absolute owner, 
before you can walk in him. Okay, that's the way you receive him. Then you walk in him that same way, right? So the meekness is a necessary step in the process to get us from receiving to walking. Okay, this meekness is our submission to his lordship. And it's going to mean you're going to have to let go of the lordship of Satan, which also likes to manifest itself as the lordship of self, right? Okay, we love to be the lord of our lives, don't we? (laughs) But it's a mirage because there's no such thing as actually being the lord of your life. You're not. If you think you're the lord of your life, then you're under Satan's domain, (laughs) okay? There's only two domains. It's either Satan's or it's Father God's, okay? Uh, There's no domain of you, (laughs) just to be clear. Um, You know, he just allows us to think that we are the ones in control so that we will be happy and stay in his domain, right? So that we don't think we need to get out of it. But in his domain in darkness, he is the Lord. He is the absolute owner from everything, for everything that's there. So if we think of the Israelites coming out of Egypt, they were delivered. They were set free from slavery, a Pharaoh. They were miraculously rescued by God's saving power, working through Moses. Yet, as they came into God's leading, into his lordship outside of Egypt, most of them could not submit to the process of him getting Egypt out of them, okay? They weren't in a position of meekness or humility, so they did not turn themselves over to the lordship of God. They weren't ready to allow him to prune them and cleanse them from those unrighteous ways of Egypt, which is the world, okay? That's what we compare to the world. When we submit ourselves in in meekness to Jesus as our Lord, and it's in his great love for us that he sees those things we're still holding on to. There's worldly things that we can still have a grip on even when we come into the kingdom of God, right? Jesus sees those things and he wants to do something about it. He wants to help us let go of them. How do we do that? We have to submit to his lordship, okay? We all have times in our journey when we try to grab the reins back from Holy Spirit, right? whether knowingly or not, when we do this, we are dishonoring him as our Lord, and we do need to repent, okay? This is one of the major points in walking with him in the manner we received him. His lordship and our meekness, when we received him, have to stay that way throughout our journey, okay? That never changes. As you received him in meekness, submitting to his lordship, you stay there. It'll keep you safe, okay? Now, these three Beatitudes we went over tonight give us revelation of our beginning. If we do not get that revelation of the state we were truly in, that we were in a state of desperate helplessness, that we had a need for freedom, that then we cannot walk with him properly, okay? We cannot go from, (laughs) we cannot go from receiving him to walking in him unless we understand the way that we received him, okay? So we need, we need to have an ever-present awareness of our dependence on him. That's how we received him. We, we were dependent. We were desperate. We had to have him because we couldn't do it on our own. We need to have constant thanksgiving in our hearts because he took on a rescue mission. 
He undertook it to restore us to our rightful places. The price Jesus paid for our ransom was his life. He gave his life to pay because you were kidnapped by the devil. And to get you free, he gave his life for it. You know, and I I just want to read this to you from Isaiah 53. Um, This is powerful, and I've been reading it a lot lately, but it's a reminder of the the price that Jesus paid for us. I'm going to read in Isaiah 53, starting in verse 3. It says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds or with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, that iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. Like a sheep that is before it shears is silent, he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of his people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, and he, was put, and he put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. He shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. That's our Jesus. (laughs) That's what he was willing to do to pay that price, to say, you be free. I'm going to take on all the hatred. I'm going to take on all those ugly words. I'm going to take it on because I love you, and you're worth paying that price for. So as we return to the beginning, we contemplate that price that was paid for our ransom. We should be overcome with an appreciation, with a deep love for our great rescuer. And like we always talk about in this church, it should draw us into a deeper intimacy with him. What kind of story would there be without love, right? We've got the greatest love story of all times to be a participator in. It should also cause us to be determined that we will be the ones he can trust. We should walk in him in the manner we received him. Then we will be the ones who are his operatives on his mission to rescue the lost. We will be restored to the adventure he has for us. We'll see clearly the evil enemy who is trapped and deceives and torments so many. And we'll start listening closely for his instructions to rescue them. We'll see this beautiful, exciting saga that we're right in the middle of and the eternal consequences of our actions within it.
You know, this is so much more than a good story because it has eternal consequences. What we're willing to do, what we're willing to be involved in, the missions he can entrust us with, they're going to affect eternity. There are so many people right outside those doors who don't know the truth. They've never been shown that window of opportunity. They've never been shown that there's a way out of darkness. And they feel trapped. And it's up to us. You know, it's up to us. We have a mission. We have a call. We have a destiny to reach out to them, to do something about it, to be the ones that God can trust. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. It gets me emotional. <laughs> but it's a beautiful thing. And it's, it's worth everything. It is worth every second of our time. It is worth every effort we have. You know, in, in Dundalk recently, I was preaching on sowing seeds. Everything we do is sowing seeds. Your time, your effort, your attention, you're sowing them constantly. What are you sowing them into? Are you sowing them into something that's going to bring eternal rewards? Are you sowing them into people who need Jesus? Or is it all selfish? You know, these are things that we need to ask ourselves. Now, I want us to do something to declare over ourselves before we leave tonight. Okay, so these are words from Isaiah 61, and they're spoken about Jesus. They're spoken about the mission God's given them, but who are you? You're in him, right? That's your identity. You are in him, so you are on the same mission. So you're going to take up this mantle, and you're going to declare these things over yourself tonight. Okay, now remember that everything we're saying is in him. Okay, it's not on your own, it's not by your own strength, it's in him and it's by his strength. So, the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Let's say that. The Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And we know that that's not just the poor in the pocketbook, that's the poor in spirit. The ones who know they're in spiritual poverty and they're ready, they're ripe, the harvest is ripe. Okay, they're ready. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. This is the ones who are mourning, right? The ones who know there's a reason to mourn, that they've been doing wrong, living wrong, and they're ready to repent. Okay, so he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Okay, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Liberty to the captives. Okay, that's an anointing that will come upon you. You can do it. You go proclaim that for him in his name. And open the prison to those who are bound. Open the prison to those who are bound. Okay, we declare these things upon us because we're anointed to do them. Right? God entrusts us to do that. And I just want to leave you with this encouragement. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation. That's us. So let's pray. Father God, we just thank you and praise you. We thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the journey that we're on. Thank you that we are the ones that have been rescued, Lord. Oh, we just thank you and praise you, Jesus, for the price you paid so that we could be rescued. Thank you for those laborers who invited us, who told us, 
who gave us your light and truth. And we thank you, Lord, that we're your ambassadors, that we have a mission, that we have been entrusted with bringing those, those people into your kingdom, Lord. All the people who are out there in darkness, Lord, you desire them. You desire them. So let us have eyes to see. Let us see what matters to you. Let us go after the ones who are trapped, who are deceived, who are in a state of captivity, who have been taken, who are hostages. Let us seek you out and intercede on their behalf, Lord, and find insight and wisdom into how they can be set free. They're worth it, Lord. Thank you that you give us a heart that says they're worth it. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. We are so glad you could join us for our latest message. We are located right in the center of the town and we would love for you to call in and see us. Details are on our website at islandchurchdundalk.ie.